Nowadays, introducing the original Blood Clad Podcast not PS. Sold in semantic. Special dedication all the way from New York. Boom! Yeah, man, SWOT semantic. Yeah, man, now. Boom! Sold in semantic. Yeah, man, now. Big ups to the man now. Sold in semantic. Do 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 do, 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 do do Simon, welcome to the Soothing Semantics podcast with your host Rafi Pinsky. Today we have a very special guest. Simon Dadoon, he is a good friend of mine. He is initially from Canada, moved to New York where we met. I'm an init- I'm a, I'm a Brooklynite and I moved to Miami a year ago. I'm sure I mentioned it on the previous podcast. If I didn't, you now know. Simon is a third-year medical student. He is studying urology, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right now I'm on uh, my urology rotation. Right. So he is studying He's studying urology. He has several discussions uh, he would like to delve into today. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from that, he's going to discuss his move from Canada to New York, Jersey as well, and then to Florida. So we're going to go into several topics. We have a very interesting discussion on urology later in the episode. Uh, we hope you enjoy. Simon, welcome to the show. How's it going, brother? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Rafi. Absolute um, pleasure. As someone who spends a lot of time listening to podcasts and so much of my day devoted to that, it's beautiful to finally be on one. I love the setup. I'm glad. I'm glad. It's legit. Yeah, no, I love it myself. I'm really having a great time with it. Yeah, and like, I don't know if the viewers can see, but there's like lights, cameras, action everywhere. Yeah, listen, that's how we have to try to do it. We've got to keep it interesting at the end of the day. You know, people have like a very short attention span. It's true. You know what I mean? Like you just have to keep things so stimulating for people. Like it's th- that this is why people put cucumbers on a plate and charge three hundred bucks. It's it's a garnish. It's a garnish. They get like one potato, a fry, a piece of rice, and everyone's like, "Wow, it's so exquisite." And it's something interesting that you know we see in the apps we use on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Like think about like we started with Facebook, right? And you know you got like long. You people post articles. They have post like all like these long. You know things going on in their life and all these posts and uh, you know from there we went to instagram which is like pictures and like blurbs but like even that was too intense like then they needed snapchat and now there's like tiktok which is blowing up which is basically you know constant stimulation these like short little videos even the commentary on that on tiktok is like you can never put more than i think like 40 characters or something like that you're severely limited do you think it's kind of like vine yeah it's like vine but more addicting though it's it, yeah it's uh, it just seems like way more uh intense the feed the whole like the way they structure the feed the, to be honest i was never really much of a vine user but um but the way they structure the feed i mean you have the personal people that you're following but that's not even what i find most people spend their time on they spend time on the second feed which is called the for you page mm-hmm. which are like all like the viral things uh all the viral videos that were posted that are um either in your own area or in you know or in your country or the world as well Mm -hmm. yeah it's so much it's 
it's like one of the few things I haven't actually checked out. I'm not like a major app guy, but I know I had like I had Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. Snapchat, Snapchat I haven't had in a while, but I see like TikTok is massive. They're even using it for businesses now. For sure, for sure. And uh, I don't know, I, like I'm on the app on a pretty regular basis and I see oh. like Gary Vee's already gone. Like, Oh, forget full. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's already game over. You know, it's already... It's already yeah, he knows how to utilize every app to his advantage. Mm-hmm. He knows how to use every app. But I did want to get into the move that you made from... I know we're, we're going... Yeah, we can take it back. one thing to another. For sure. But as much as I love Gary V, unfortunately, Gary V, you're not going to be the main topic of discussion. Um, so I think he felt that somewhere. Where right, he is. Yeah, right? he definitely just... Yeah, know. dude, he's going he's gonna to hear this one day. Mm-hmm. He's for sure going to hear this one day. So you initially lived in Canada. I mean, I, I yeah. already have some sort of a backstory, but obviously we're going to go over it and kind of... Yeah, I was, I was actually... I was born in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, my family on both sides is from there. Um, they emigrated there from Morocco with like my parents and the grandparents in the seventies and, um, a huge chunk of my childhood was spent there at that point already. My parents had like moved to the States. My dad started working, uh, for United. He's an airline pilot. I just spent, you know, every holiday season, every summer, whenever, you know, there was a little break or something like that. We were always in Montreal and, uh, yeah, growing up there was, I mean, spending time there in my childhood was just phenomenal. Uh, I think I did like seven years of hockey camp. And it was, uh, yeah, it was great. It was beautiful. But, yeah, spent, I think a majority of my childhood was spent on the Jersey Shore. Really? Yeah, Deal. Oh, right, right. I forgot you spent a lot of time in Deal. That's true. Yeah, it's great. And then from there, I was there for, like, you know, um, like middle school, junior high. And for high school, I went to Philadelphia. Went to Yeshiva there. Mm. Uh, It was great four years. Uh, Spent a year in Israel. For a while, I thought I was going to be a rabbi. I think that was going to be... You really thought that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Up until, I think, 12th grade, I think, is when I realized that I had to pick... uh, Not that I had to, that I was interested in following a different path. But it was definitely the vision was to, you know, maybe, you know, start off, you know, stay in yeshiva, then go to brisk, maybe... Um, Dev, by the way, just to be clear, you have to ex- explain some oh, things. Oh, yeah, like, definitely, not, definitely. Yeah. So, so just like, <laughs> You're gonna be like just to explain wait, wait, what Yeshiva I gotta go, is. I got to go to the iced tea company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, just to explain what uh, the Yeshiva system is. So, uh, you know, I'm, we're raised Orthodox. I was raised orth- as an Orthodox Jew. And uh, there's, there's, these, there's a, a schooling system called the Yeshiva schooling system. And, uh, you know, it means different things in different places. But... Essentially, what it means is it's a the part of the academic program, or at least part, if not the entirely, is focused towards Jewish studies. And, you know, depending on, you know, the type of yeshiva and where it's located is, you know, how intense or how, uh, you know, how deep they'll dive into, you know, Talmudic law, Jewish philosophy. And uh, a lot of the people who make it through this yeshiva system do end up being rabbis. A lot of them who don't end up making phenomenal lawyers or businessmen and so and or et cetera, I have... Uh, couple of my friends, you know, went to Harvard, they went to phenomenal schools, or they're starting very successful businesses. And yeah, so at that point in my life, I went to a yeshiva high school, it was a sleepaway. Uh, it was in it had a there was a dormitory. Um, I remember those man, yeah. I spent a year in one of those I got suspended for two weeks because I lit a mattress on fire. Oh, really? And an idiot me I threw it in I, I we thought it would be How'd smart. You get caught? We had a, there was a rat. There was There's a always a rat. There's yeah, always a there snitch, was a snitch. Right? And then, and we yeah. threw the mattress. It was a small hole, by the way. It wasn't mm-hmm. like the entire mattress was on fire. It wasn't a flammable mattress. Most of these mattresses are not 
meant to be lit on fire. So they're mm-hmm. pretty good as far as that's concerned, unless there's already a massive fire in the house. Mm-hmm. Taking a lighter to a mattress is not going to light it so, as quickly as you might think. Right. So I think, we, I yeah. think they have like laws, though, in, in like the construction of mattresses nowadays to make them like flame retardant. Probably. I think, right? Same thing with like pajamas <laughs> or something like that. Because like back Probably. in the day, like half the I think half the apartments in New York City that burned down is because someone fell asleep. Like for sure, cigarette. dude. So yeah. so I I literally took this small hole in the mattress, black hole in the mattress. Two other me and two other friends, we decided it was a smart idea to throw it in a dumpster. What we didn't think about was that half of it was hanging out of the dumpster. So. This this snitch sees, oh, okay, well, these guys burn a dumpster. They tell the principal. Next thing we know, we're called in. We have to take this. Uh, I mean, they had the mattress sitting in the office waiting for us. Oh, oh like so, the evidence was ready. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. look what you did. And like, okay, Rabbi, there's like a small hole in the mattress. Whoop-de-doo, you know? Right. And they, you know, and then we started laughing. We couldn't help it. Long story short, they suspend us. I'm thrilled because I really didn't like the school. Mm-hmm. And... They end up taking the mattress and dragging it into the the synagogue, essentially. Um, you know, in every Jewish private school, and I'm sure other you know Catholic schools and Muslim schools, they all you know they have a mosque or a church in the school or whatever. Mm-hmm. The base so this was a, right. So we called it a base medrash or whatever. So a house of study. Yeah. So <laughs> so the, they decide to drag this mattress into a massive synagogue, essentially, full of like 200 students, and everyone's like, why? They just wanted to show, like, this is what they did, these bad kids, you know? And it's, like, and it's really crazy because in, like, Wait, Yeshiva, where, this where is, like, this as place? bad as it gets. It was in Farakwa, New Farakway, York. Yeah, oh, in the five amazing. towns of New York. But, uh, yeah, so that was that was an interesting experience. But moving on, like, back to you as far as the, as far as, like, okay, you were in Yeshiva. You had the Yeshiva system, 12th grade. You decided to go from being, you, you would have made a great rabbi, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you would have been one of the few rabbis I liked. Yeah. (laughs) I had a few that I liked, but... Yeah, listen, honestly, it wasn't an easy choice. I think a lot of it had to do with... um, I was thinking about what I really wanted to do. I always had a tendency, um, a passion towards the sciences. I loved helping people. I loved working with people. Even when I was in in high school, I I was working with, you know, local kids in the community, like after-school programs. And we also had another program that my friend and I started. Um, We had... There was a couple of children with special needs in the area. So we did Mm -hmm. some, like tutoring sessions on Wednesdays. Yeah, you did that. You, were, you worked with special needs for a few years. Yeah, though. yeah. So that's a, that's a kind of a trend that just continued while I was living right. in New York and uh, volunteering and stuff like that, which is like very important to me. And it was honestly, it was a tough decision. You know, people think, uh, you know, being a rabbi is like easy way out, like, but it's like, especially in the yeshiva community, because we take it for granted. You know, there's so many people, there's two, there's hundreds of kids in the yeshiva. So many of them go on to be rabbis, but the truth is it's a massive, massive responsibility, you know? And I was kind of like bouncing between the two, like, should I go to med school or become a rabbi? Like, what's the right path for me? And it was tough, you know, as a rat, like, you know, as a doctor, you're responsible for somebody's body. But uh, as a rabbi, you're responsible for their soul, which is, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's deep. Yeah, it's, it's profound. Deep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's a, it's a heavy, heavy. Um, and you always have to be on if you think about it. You know, there's no such like, you know, your, your time is never your own. Cause when you're working with a community and you're taking, you're like carrying an entire community, it's a really uh, an incredible responsibility as well. Yeah, I feel like there are though a lot of rabbis who just kind of want to fit that mold. Maybe I mean, I'm sure they're a great. Ra- I mean, yeah, great there's rabbis, always but... there's always going to be you know, an assist, especially a system, and especially you know, as comfortable as we are in American society today, and uh, with how incredibly well you know Jews are treated in this country, there's you know, it's mm-hmm. just there's it's, it's a time of incredible growth for especially the Orthodox Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Look at communities sure. in New Jersey, communities in New York, they're growing by leaps and bounds. And you know, there's statistically speaking, there's always going to be. 
you know, people who maybe have cho- should have chosen another career path. You never know. It's just more of like if you genu- genuinely want to be a rabbi, great. If you have genuine intentions to do good things, mm-hmm. awesome. But if you're doing it because you know that you're going to get handouts and donations and you're, you're always going to be set, you may not be wealthy, but you'll always be good. Taking care of That, it. to me, is cheap. I don't, I don't respect that. But then again, I don't really... I don't fill my head with it much. Mm-hmm. You do you as long as it doesn't affect my life in a negative way. Power to you. But uh, so now you decided you chose to do medicine. Right. right. So like. So now the question was, I'm in 12th grade. What do I do with my time? Do I, ju- you know, jump right into uh, college or I just kind of take some. It was also a big it was a big decision for me to make. So mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of felt like I needed to take some time to figure it out, plan what I wanted to do and the way I wanted to do it. Cause like I had been in an all boys yeshiva, like ultra Orthodox environment. So I, I decided uh, with the, you know, with the advice of my teachers and my rabbis that it would be best if I spent a year in Israel, just trying mm-hmm. to like acclimate myself in a less, uh, I wouldn't say restrictive, but like more or less regulated, less, you know, structured environment. So I went to yeshiva in Israel and, uh, Definitely had a lot of time to explore myself. Uh, was, you know, I had time to figure out what I was interested, who I was as a person. And uh, that's when I decided to go back to New York and uh, pursue medical school there. That's awesome. Yeah. Or, well, pursue my undergraduate uh, training. So it's, it is a long process. So I went back to New York after that and I started pre-med. You know, started after, with it. after a long year, after a long year of drinking in Israel, you finally <laughs> said, "Okay, uh, yeah, yeah." I mean, I'm look, like I said, self discovery There's different ways to label it, but it was. For uh, sure. We've all yeah. done that. We've all had that rite of passage. Very common. It, it is. It is a rite of passage within our community. I think. Sure, it's very common among religious Jews, and when I say religious Jews, it, it really varies because there are different religious levels. We're not going to go into it. It's very mm-hmm. complicated, but there is this rite of passage for a lot of religious Jews, especially in America that after high school they decide to do a year or more as exchange students in a a sort of yeshiva program. A lot of them just have fun the entire year. Some people grow religiously. They, they, you know, decide to become quote unquote more religious, but it's, it's, it's a year or two or three to some people stay for a while where people get to kind of find their way in a sense, kind of like how the Amish at 18 are kind of like, well, do I want to do this or do I not? Yeah, it is really right. Similar. Like, do I want to wear these hats? Do I not? Do I want to? Yeah, I decided not to wear the hat after that. I decided, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I like the blazer. I like the white shirt. I thought it looked really crisp. You don't do uh, the hats anymore? No, no, no. I just it didn't feel right. Also, I'm a Sephardic Jew. It doesn't really like. By the way, I never understood that. Meaning, I totally agree with that. I don't understand why Sephardic Jews that become kind of like ultra orthodox decide to wear hats they should have their own cultural thing right but the truth is i think the the ultra orthodox environment that we have today is really structured off an ashkenazi jewish platform it is it and, is. and uh, it's, it's, it's kind of beca- the hat the hat kind of the fedora kind of became the uniform it's, it's just so it's weird. like if you buy into that you know that lifestyle that ideology then you wear the uniform that's associated with it and the uniform is the hat you know it's so weird that ashkenazi uh, just to be clear for people that don't know Ashkenazi Jews are Jews who originated from European countries. Sephardic Jews uh, originated from Middle Eastern or Spanish countries. Mm -hmm. And they have different foods, different traditions. We're all Jewish. We all generally, we believe in the same things, but we have different traditions based on where we're from. So Europeans are Ashkenazi Jews, which means German uh, in Hebrew, Mm -hmm. or Old Hebrew. Aramaic, yeah. Um, My mistake. I think, yeah. I don't know. Either one. Mm -hmm. We should should know this, though. Yeah, we should. We should know this. Um... (laughs) Especially you, Rabbi. 
Yeah, yeah. See this? It's unbelievable. He switches. He switches to to medical school, and that's it. It goes out the window. Now they're talking about like the the culture. So it's just interesting that they that the Sephardic Jews, when they become deeper practicing Jews, tend to adopt the the dress code of the of the European Jews. That's just kind of how things worked. Uh, there are very religious Sephardic Jews who don't do that, but as a whole, especially in America, it's very common. Even in Israel, it's common. Mm-hmm. Um, but moving on to the medical field, mm-hmm. what kind of motivated you to go into the specific field you're in? It was at one. It was at Sloan Kettering in in Manhattan, mm-hmm. and the the personalities there could honestly make the most boring topics supremely interesting. Um, but in ge- yeah, so when I came in there, I started thinking, you know, that's that's what I want to do. And then, um, you know, I found a research mentor at medical school and uh, he was a urologist and he had this great research club where every every month everyone would meet together. He, they would have a list of projects on the board and uh, you wanted to make sure that your your project like progressed on the board. So, mm. you know, it's really, really important to find mentorship in the beginning. And, uh, you know, he kind of he kind of in the beginning he kind of gives you a project. And so this is your project. This is your baby. Take care of it. Make it grow. You know what I mean? And you, every month, you want to know that you hit certain milestones so that, you know, your project moved above because there's a group of 40, 50 people in the room. And everyone's like, look, like, have you, like, have you pulled your weight on your project? You don't want to look bad in front of everyone. So it was like a healthy dose of positive peer pressure. And at the same time, an incredible source of mentorship. So I thought I wanted to do urology for the longest time. Then, you know, I spent one, I was doing this research project on, you know, on male infertility. And it was comparing like the rates of IVF and IUI. And we'll get into that. IVF stands for in vitro fertilization. IUI stands for intrauterine insemination. And those are really two different paths um, that, you know, people who have difficulty conceiving go along. IVF is, you know, much more expensive, much more involved process where, you know, you, you, you harvest or you take out an egg from a woman. You, you know, you pick a sperm cell from the man and you take a needle, a really specialized glass needle, and you kind of inject the sperm in the egg. And you, it's this artificial fertilization process. Artificial insemination, so to speak. No, it's different. So the next thing is artificial insemination, which is different. That's when you take a semen sample from a gentleman and you t- put it like in a special syringe. Or, well, it's 2020, by the way. It's you, never, you never know these days. You never know. You never know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so you take a syringe and you, it's kind of like this long catheter-looking thing and you kind of guide it into the uterus, into the fallopian tube, and you kind of deposit the sperm there. So that's, that's usually more helpful in like women for some like structural reason, the sperm has a hard time swimming all the way there. So either there's not enough swimmers or, you know, there's, they're not swimming that well. Or, there's a Michael Phelps there. Yeah. He's the only one making it. Everyone right, else right. Is so like, this is kind it. of like, this is kind of more like a swim coach approach, you know what I mean? <laughs> kind of like, uh, you know, guide you to the, to the egg. But the difference is that no one's manually taking a sperm cell, injecting it into the egg. So we were confirming, um, we were looking specifically in gentlemen with, you know, poor morphology, meaning their sperm cells were like weirdly shaped. Does using misshapen sperm cells lead to kids with, you know, birth defects? And there's no reason scientifically why it should. It's just that we had a lot of patients who were coming into the clinic saying, doc, I need to do IVF, right? Which is the more expensive process where you directly inject the sperm into an egg because my morphology is all out of whack. And we just wanted to produce data showing that, you know, that's, by the way, that's not the case. And you could still do the much more affordable, uh, less invasive process of IUI. And uh, yeah, it was a very interesting project. I was working with incredible people in the lab. And I realized that just working with those doctors, working, you know, especially in the fertility field, I realized that, you know, this is what I wanted to do. Oh, it's amazing. And, and, and I think, and I think everyone, I think when you're choosing a profession, again, this is every, full disclosure, like anything that we talk about doesn't constitute you know, medical advice, it's the opinion of a third-year med student who, 
you know, doesn't know anything yet, you know? Everything to Certainly be taken. You sell yourself short. Like no, that, not right? selling myself short, but I, it, I feel like it is a disclaimer Pre- that yeah, has to be made. Yeah, you know? because there are going to be people listening to this like, what the yeah. heck are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Hard, so yeah. feel free to fact check me or double check everything I say. Um, this is really... Um, you can email blast him. Just yeah. ru- ruin his life. Yeah, yeah. I, if, you, <laughs> if you do have show notes on the website or however it is that you post it, you could definitely yeah. like tag me ask definitely yeah. definitely no we'll, we'll get people in contact uh i just wanted to, to to say like we i think for a lot of people who aren't familiar with the medical field in general have this oh this is this is at least my feeling that a problem with conscious uh, not contraception but uh with conception sorry is more of an issue for women i mean is that the case that's yeah. actually definitely definitely the conception but we're finding more and more is that it's kind of imagine in your head a pie chart, mm. you know, pizza pie. So like 30%, uh, 35, 35 to 40% is going to be female. And we're finding increasingly that more and more closer to 30% is male infertility. And the rest is kind of like this mixed or unexplained factor. But there is definitely a conception that a majority of fertility issues are, it's definitely always the woman's side. But one of the first steps in assessing a couple that's having difficulty conceiving, and by the way, how do we define, how do you define difficulty conceiving? So that's defined by, you know, 12 months of having intercourse at the right times and uh, coitus, coitus uh, yeah, and uh, not getting pregnant, right? So the idea is that if you're, if you're, um, if you're having intercourse around the time of ovulation, and, uh, which is, you know, peak fertility time, that um, with, in a woman, I think, under 35, it's 25% chance each time that she's going to get pregnant. So after 12 times of 25% chance, it should be like 97% you know, probability that she should have conceived at that time. So at that point, that's when you start to go to the doctor and you see like, again, my math, yeah, everyone check what I'm saying, but uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And at that point, that's when you go to a doctor, start evaluating. But the first step and like, you know, the least invasive step is to do a semen analysis in that section. You make sure everything's kosher, quote unquote, with the gentleman uh, is what's his sperm count. You know, Mm -hmm. what's, how are the sperm shaped, which is like the least important thing. Is that really a thing though? Is the, is the the sperm? Yeah. They look like they need to be aerodynamic swimmers. There's a long path they need to get from, you know, the cervix all the way up. No, but what I mean is do the shapes often vary to a large degree? Like are some very, you know, kind of like drop, like water drop shaped, are so, others a lot more round? Like, so in a perfect, really have... Yeah, so in a perfect world, you know, they should all be like these little football aerodynamic shaped heads with mm-hmm. like little spinning tails that propel them. But a lot of factors, be- and I think there's also an important distinction that needs to be made between like uh, female eggs and male sperm cells, you know? In females, it's kind of quality over quantity. In men, it's the opposite. It's like we're going to, you know, ejaculate 200 million of these guys it's crazy and somewhere in there is going to be michael is going to be our michael phelps right? probably it's you crazy. know so like that's really that's really you know the the sh- it's two deferring strategies altogether. so For sure so you're, you could imagine if you're making 200 million of something there's going to be a whole bunch that probably aren't that great right 100%. you know um, it really is a quality over quality also quality. there's a lot of like these muscular contractions that kind of like force them out that you know could alter the shape on the way out uh-huh. of the on the way out of the the man's body that could have an impact on morphology. So you're really just shooting your shot. Like you're, you're literally to yeah. a large degree just shooting your shot. You're shooting a bunch of them hoping one, one hits yeah, the target. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the, that's definitely from like, you know, the male's perspective, that's that's definitely the strategy. Um, so and the, 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 but the crazy thing, which is, it's a very redundant thing to say, but I don't think a lot of people really take this into account, is the idea that men can simply do it for for the most part without limit. Meaning if there's one 
man on the planet and thousands of women you know what i mean like that it's just a crazy concept it's crazy how we're how we're created so differently in that sense right definitely like, you know what i mean but if it were the other way around we'd have a massive issue right you know? i think a lot of that also has to do with the fact that you know for now at least um it's the female that's carrying the fetus you know sure. so it's there's there's a like uh endocrinological processes yeah. in play that uh prevent like can you imagine if a woman would get pregnant multiple times because if theoretically every egg that gets released could become a fetus so it's very important that only one makes it at a time mm-hmm. and actually twins are you know twins are considered a, a risk a risky pregnancy so it's how, like, tw- how do twins work by the way so I mean, there's different that? types of twins sometimes you have um sometimes you have like two eggs fertilized by two separate sperm and those are what we call fraternal twins they usually have two separate things going on they have two separate placentas they're like two separate situations and it's either a fluke either you know there's certain medications that women take to get pregnant that could cause multiple eggs to be released at one time and therefore you could fertilize multiple eggs and then there's another process that could happen where one egg gets fertilized but some in some part of like the cell division process the two break apart the two like it started off as one but then it just breaks apart and depending on how many days after conception it breaks apart it depends on like what kind of like how the twins will be situated What's in the, the female term? body. What's the term for the for the where it breaks apart? Because I know I learned it in biology and I don't remember the term. When uh, they separate. Just, um, Do you remember it? I, so I, is it a, a, maybe an M and a Y? Oh, meiosis. That's I think you're thinking right? meiosis, mitosis. So that's different. So that's kind of when the fertilization first happens. If I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, this is a process that happens afterwards. So it starts off as one and kind of like separates. Mm-hmm. But we could definitely double check that. It's a great question. Basic science. But yeah, so then there's so the, I think that's a, also a big reason, you know, it's it's really risky to carry multiple pregnancies thinking from a nutritional standpoint. Also just, you know, mass effect, like how many how many can you carry in one shot? And, you know, you know, twins tend to deliver earlier. I think mm. that's the biggest risk factor. When do they, when do they generally deliver? Um, I think 35 weeks is the, the accepted dogma of when twins usually um, they usually so come just out. Give of an year. idea of months for people. Uh, eighth month. Okay. Right. And obviously you want the baby to be there as long as possible, getting, you know, full blown nutrition from mom. It's also hard for the mother. I mean, she has to, she's she's feeding two people. And when you have four, I mean, it is a very risky thing. There's all sorts, there's all sorts of medical conditions. Women can develop diabetes during pregnancy. They could develop hypertension during pregnancy. And that, those of that, you know, that diabetes or hypertension they develop could carry on even after the pregnancy mm-hmm. and could cause, you know, life, uh, life changing or life altering impact on the, the woman's well-being. But uh, think about it. Like there was a really high mortality rate just a few hundred years ago. I pregnancy. was literally thinking that. Yeah, by the pregnancy, way. I was thinking is, that exactly pregnancy was lethal back in the day. And, and we have so many alternatives, although it seems. What nowadays, was the percentage, by the way? I it? wish I wish I could say I heard some were close to um, I def I know pediatric mortality rates I heard were close to like you know thirty percent. It's insane. But, you think uh, about that a couple maternal, hundred years ago. But like I just I just think about I just finished my uh, OBGYN rotation and the things that I saw on a daily basis you know like uh, sometimes the cord was wrapped in the wrong direction or the baby was positioned differently and th- we do all these interventions you know that didn't exist two hundred years ago and to think about you know what happened to these women. 200 years ago is just, you know, very frightening. So it's definitely, we've definitely come a long way in that regard. Although now there's kind of a movement to push back towards a more natural way of doing things. Definitely midwives and doulas have picked up in uh, popularity. <laughs> but yeah, you see all these home birth videos, people delivering in those little like... In a know, bathtub. The, the bathtubs are with those little kiddie pools. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So they're all yeah, they're on all fours. They're just like pulling it out and holding like, it in the air like Simba, you know? Right. Like, we got it. 
And then the three-year-old daughter is kind of like walking what? by with like her little like her <laughs> little like, like a Barbie truck, doll bag whatever. of chips. She's like, Mama, what are you doing? She's like, I'm trying to have a kid. <laughs> Mama, can you play with me? Got a when, brother. when we when I give birth when I give birth to Samantha, we'll hang it. We'll hang out. You g- give me a second, okay? It's I'm kind of I'm I'm a little busy here. That's what I'm naming my kid. Got a yeah. problem with that? No, no, not at all. No, we'll see. We'll see. It's, we'll a, see. it's a decent name. We're okay. gonna call her Sam or? It's 2020, dude. You Fine. can do it. I mean, you can. Mm-hmm. You I mean you were able to do it beforehand, but now it's it's widely it's a lot it's a lot more of a thing. Mm-hmm. Back to. I guess my journey through medical school, I decided that's really what I wanted to do. I think uh, definitely, I think as a, as a med student, you have to first find out what you like to do. You know, it's a very long road. It's very long training. Just to give you a perspective for what I'm interested in doing now and for what I'm pursuing, it's, you know, I did four, I did four years of undergrad. I'm doing four years of med school, four years of residency, and three years of fellowship. So residency is kind of when you pick your specialty. Fellowship is when you pick your subspecialty. So for me, the journey would be to do, you know, four years of OBGYN followed mm-hmm. by three years of uh, REI or reproductive endocrinology and infertility, although there's a move to switch it to reproductive endocrinology and fertility, I guess, to stay more positive or to focus more on uh, what the doctors are trying to do. Um, but it's a really long road. So it's very important to find something you're interested in, something you love to do and something you're passionate about. So you really, the first type of thing you got to assess is like, what am I interested in? Do I like to do procedures? Do I like to do surgery? Do I like having uh, a connection with my patients? Do I like following my patients in the long term? And those are things you definitely have to consider. You know, do I like writing really long notes? How Something. often are you writing notes? How often are you finding yourself so they writing? So in my program, I go to the University of Miami. They try and get us to write notes every available uh, moment that they can. It's definitely excellent training to think about because when you're a resident. Do they grade you on it? Uh, yes. So at least I think for every block I've done, we've had to submit, uh, I think, as sometimes every week, sometimes, you know, every couple of weeks, notes that we've written. And they proofread them, make sure they're up to par, make sure that our clinical thinking, because it's more than just, you know, it's one thing to just present the information. They want us to see at the end of the note that we, you know, we have an assessment of what's going on. Like we're able to take in all the different factors, all the different facts and, you know, come up with uh, at least a differential. They don't make us come up with a clear diagnosis at this point. We're just students, but we have to explain our thinking. So, you know, I have all this, these little bits of information. This is what I'm thinking it could be. And for each one, we have to write why yes or why no. Mm-hmm. And at the end, we have our plan. And, you know, our plan is to I either order the test that we need to order to, you know, confirm our diagnosis, definitely start them on whatever empiric treatment they need to be started on anyways, just to keep them stable. If they have like another condition, like if they have diabetes or hypertension, make sure they're receiving the medications they need to manage their conditions that they already have and consult the people that need to be consulted. So if, you know, if it's somebody who has, you know, uh, someone who's coming in with a really high fever and they have cancer, you know, we definitely want to consult the oncology team, you know, and put that, make sure that that's in the note. But yeah, so, so there's definitely, you have to definitely think about what you want to do. For me personally, I like doing procedures. I like uh, being in the operating room, but I want, I don't want to be in the operating room all day. You know, I, I definitely like working with people, interacting with people. Um, and I want to have a little bit of both. I want to have a little bit of surgery, not too long, like not too crazy. Um, I like surgeries that have definitive fixes, things where you go in, you have a specific problem, you fix it and, you know, instant gratification, their life gets better afterwards. You know, there's a lot of really long procedures, especially if you like, you know, especially in certain cancers, you know, where there's like a long recovery road afterwards, a lot of rehab, a lot of difficulty and really long operations. And while I think those things are beautiful, it's not something that I enjoy doing. 
Because uh, you, you don't have that guarantee that it's going to fix itself, and you it just you kind of yeah, it's it's, it's a it's, lot on the head. It's, it's a lot. A lot, it's a lot it's, yeah, it's it's difficult. It's definitely difficult. And I definitely enjoyed. I remember I did four weeks of endocrine surgery and you know at UM and just phenomenal, phenomenal physicians. And I just I love the fact that you know you could have a patient coming in, their hearts pounding out of their chest. You know they have you know this toxic thyroiditis, and uh, you know they're they're or Graves' disease, and they're looking miserable. And, you know, you take them in the operating room, you do a three-hour procedure, you take out the thyroid, uh, you make sure that the nerves are still intact, their voice box still works, um, they can breathe properly, and they then they are f- great. You know, they, they're home the next day, they're back to normal. They do have to take a little pill to, you know, replenish their thyroid hormone now that they're missing a thyroid. But it was just like this beautiful instant gratification on a very technical, very, you know, precision-based surgery. I love that a lot. But at the same time, I didn't want to be a general surgeon. I liked interacting with people. There's people that don't, you know, like anesthesia, if you think about it, you never have to, you're only dealing with unconscious people or getting people to be unconscious. It's perfect uh, for those people that sat in the back of the class their whole lives. No, but some of them are smart. really, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they're brilliant, but yeah. they don't really have to do much. They can yeah. kind of just sit there and then they, they turn a switch to kill the guy. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's definitely, um, there, there's it's definitely very fit, like physio based. You have to know your medications. You have to know the impact every medication has on the body. You have to know how to like alternate, you know, certain, certain things. I remember a few months ago, I was on a really crazy, crazy case. It was, uh, you know, 30 you know, a woman in her late 30s had a whole bunch of kids and, you know, she kept on coming to the doctor for these, you know, I have these panic attacks, I have these panic attacks and they would do these workups and they were giving her, you know, Xanax and all this and nothing was working. And someone had the idea to test her uh, blood for, you know, certain metabolites, things, and they found that she has, you know, in her blood, she has these molecules that seem to indicate she has a very rare tumor called a pheochromocytoma. It's, it's an adrenaline producing tumor. It's, a tumor that just pumps out pure adrenaline. And she had this right above her kidney because that's where most... So what did that feel like for her? Did she explain so the feeling? Ima- did she always um, just felt okay. like she had crazy energy? Yeah. So it was, You just it see was, her walking it, through the street lifting cars. Yeah, yeah. So, so imagine people. that. Imagine that feeling of being chased by a lion and like... Your heart's your heart's beating and you're starting to sweat and Crazy. you know and you just your your eyes like open up and you're just super super alert but for nothing you know you went to go pick up your baby, you know, so try and imagine like what that like what that must have been like and she so she came in and she had this adrenaline producing tumor and uh, they were they did the workup they did the X rays and you know a week before they came to operate on her they uh, they did a, a routine pregnancy test which is something you do to make no matter what and she was pregnant she had just gotten pregnant right before the operation mm-hmm. so it was like a big discussion you know what do you do do you operate immediately or do you wait for the baby to mature and develop because most of the baby's organs develop in the first three months and that's really the critical time that's when you know like like smoking alcohol um, drugs teratogens things that cause birth defects chemicals and stuff like that that's when they have their biggest impact Imagine like that's when Zico, I guess, would have its biggest impact because that's when the brain is forming. That's when the body, the heart, the organ, all the internal organs are forming. So the question was, do we do it now or do we wait? And after multiple teams got together, um, they decided to do it now. Why am I telling you this? Anesthesia was the big, like obviously the surgeons were the ones doing the work, but it was a, this was a big case for anesthesia because this tumor is producing a ton of adrenaline. And every time you touch that tumor, a little squirt of adrenaline squirts out. So they have to maintain you know, this lady under anesthesia and they have to make sure that she's, if, cause if the pressure goes too high, she could get a stroke. She could cut off circulation to the fetus. You could imagine what, 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 uh, that would be like, um, you know, explosive blood pressures. And then once they take it out, 
this lady was used to having such a high adrenaline rush all the time. If they take once they take that out, her blood pressure drops, you know, because so now they got to give her uh, adrenaline to keep her blood pressure up, so not now, as much as she had before. Okay, so what do they do going forward? I'm saying like, how do oh, they... go to, going forward, she made a great recovery, made a phenomenal, phenomenal recovery. Wow. The baby was okay, but this was a really anesthesia heavy case. I remember so many people from the anesthesia teams from all over the hospital were popping their heads in, and. Uh, just checking out what was going it's on. It's incredible that they can locate that issue. Several years ago, they would have no idea. Yeah. They, might, they, made, they may have thought that this woman was just off her rocker, was dealing with too much stress, couldn't hand, handle and it. And that's, that's what they were telling her for a really long time. And I have, right? I have a picture of this thing if you want to see it. I think, I mean, at the end of the day, I think everyone's minds are built a certain way. You can direct your mind and decide to put an enormous amount of effort to learn something, Mm -hmm. but it has to be enough of an interest to you from the get-go. Especially with medicine, if you don't care enough about it, you are simply, if you manage somehow to squeeze your way through school, get just good enough grades to make it, you become a doctor, but you don't genuinely care about what you're doing, you're doing it for the money, or you're doing it to make your mom and dad happy, if it's not because you absolutely love what you're going into, especially the field you're choosing, Mm -hmm. I think you're going to be a horrible doctor, and the world 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 does not need a bad doctor. We We have those... I'm very fortunate. I'm sure you are too. I've had very good doctors in my life, but there definitely are bad doctors. And that's why I say do the world a favor, please. If you're going to go into the medical field, please love that you love the field. Yeah. But it's, and it's so much more than other jobs because you're dealing with people's lives. For it's sure. In many, in many fields of, of medicine. So, um, no, I'm very, dude, I'm very impressed that you, I'm very impressed and proud of you, man, that you've, Thanks, decided bud. to take this route it's a long road and there's a lot to talk about I, I do hope that everyone listening to this has gotten to this part of the video this is a massive learning curve for me personally there's mm-hmm. a lot i there's pretty much everything you spoke about i really didn't know much about and if you can take the time to bring your attention span above five seconds <laughs> i think you'll get a lot of essentially this substance in this topic and this discussion that that simon's uh giving and it's very informative and yeah i i definitely hope we can have these discussions more for sure uh, as far for sure. as this i mean specific. i love talking about it and i, see I love that, i love like, <laughs> like for me this this excites me a lot i definitely I'm glad uh, we had you on dude yeah. i'm doing a lot of the listening but i see how passionate you are i, yeah. I don't want to interrupt I no mean, thank you thank you uh, i did want to we do have an exciting though because uh he was talking about the field of urology so yeah, yeah when you first asked me if i wanted to join you asked me like what i was doing i said i'm on uh, yeah this is the part I'm i on, love i'm, I'm on <laughs> urology right now and i'm enjoying every second of it it's really like a quality of life specialty as well you know whether it's not being able to pee or not being able to maintain an erection or you know anything like that is uh it's just it's incredible so i did uh two weeks so it's interesting just to show you how just to go over how like medical schools are most medical schools are structured the first two years tend to be uh in the books so to speak. And you know, you do have clinical experiences every couple of weeks, you know, you go to that way with, with, with other fields, like dental is similar. similar Dental is very similar, but medical school is changing, but I think dental is kind of staying the same way. The first two, but dental, even throughout the first two years, you have time in the lab, you know, you're like my brother's in dental school Mm. and in Rutgers and he's, you know, building teeth from scratch. I give him like a little block of cement and like carve a tooth out of this. By the way, now that we're on that subject, I, so when I was a kid, I fell I don't know, I was about seven years old. I, I used to do like these little tricks on scooters. I used to know how to like flip the scooter. Mm-hmm. I would jump. I had like the scooter I loved. It had yeah. the shocks. It was a great scooter. And I, I drove onto this crack in the street. I lived in Brooklyn, so all the streets are like messed up. And 
I the front tire hit that crack and I fell face first onto the ground, onto the cement, and I cracked my front tooth. It's Oof. been yeah. So I've fixed it so many times over the years. And it's never like the and real thing. It's so never like the original thing. No, because it's so it's it if you get if there's enough of an impact it breaks off eventually. Yeah. So For sure. And it's tough with that tooth. The bro, the I just front finish teeth. This yeah, point, sorry, so, bro. Yeah, no, it's all good. So I so a couple of times I I fixed it. It lasted for a few months, but eventually it broke. Mm -hmm. Not until I went to a dentist here, this young dentist um, in Miami. She had this new material. She didn't go into detail about what it was, but I noticed that I've not hit it, but I've, you know, in times where the other cement would have broken, mm -hmm. this has stayed. And it's just amazing in general with medical research, whether it's dental or, or you know, whether it's pediatrics. Uh, I, I don't know all the terms, but mm -hmm. I... Um, internal medicine whatever the case may be things are progressing they're they're compounding yeah as far as progression there's an incredible curve like the exponential growth that's being experienced in, in medical uh, improvement and medical technology it's the point we don't even general. yeah we don't even know like how to deal like i know for sure in fertility there's all sorts of questions being raised that we don't even know how to how to deal with you know we're not even ready for sometimes it's beautiful you know these are in the past these are people who never would have been able to have you know, the incredible satisfaction that comes with like, you know, raising a family and, you know, having a direct impact on a kid's life and raising a child and or children. And, uh, you know, all sorts of all sorts of, you know, types of families are now starting, you know, starting to build their family. People have rare genetic mutations. You know, there's some, and I think in London, they were able to take, uh, you know, mitochondrial DNA, which is, so in your, every cell has two kinds of DNA. It has the DNA in the nucleus and it has DNA in the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, you know, that has its separate DNA that's passed on from the mom. Sometimes there's defects in that DNA and, and they can't have, you know, healthy kids. So now they're getting mitochondrial donors. So you're having, you know, parents with, you know, DNA, like their DNA from their egg, DNA from the dad's sperm, DNA from the mitochondrial donor. And sometimes if, you know, for whatever reason, the mom can't carry the baby, they have a surrogate. The surrogate mother. Surrogate mother. So now you have, you know, four people involved in the delivery of this child. But you know what the thing is? Which is very interesting. Here's the thing, though. And this is kind of far-fetched, but don't you feel like with... Sur I mean, this has been a concept for a while already, surrogate mothers, but when you have that option, I feel like in a weird way it can come to a time similar to, in a way to natural selection mm -hmm. where if women have the option to kind of choose where they want the sperm from or, or who they want to carry their kid, they can become so selective to the point where people you who are less strong physically or not as intelligent, they'll kind of be singled out and people will kind of just gravitate towards the you know, taller people, stronger people, smarter people. Do you, do you see that ever becoming a problem? Do you see that? Become, I, I mean, don't even nowadays, know if that's a problem. So I think nowadays, and so it's actually interesting that you bring that up because within like, I think the sperm donor community that already exists, you could go on any sperm web, sperm donor website and they'll be like, well, listen, you could donate, but like if you're shorter than five, eight, or if you know, you're under this weight, then like we that's prefer crazy. that you don't, It's you know? like the Tinder like, of sperm. Yeah. It's, 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 it's crazy. It's, it's like, definitely interesting. Um, but I think nowadays we're still in a society that primarily people who have kids are tend to be couples mm -hmm. um, that are like together and they want to raise a child together. Um, so I don't know. I think what's more interesting is, the, you know, the revolution that's coming uh, in terms of pre-implantation genomics, which is, you know, assessing the genes of embryos before we put them in, you know, the and we, we put them inside a uterus and uh, genetic engineering, gene editing and down the road gametogenesis, which means, you know, making gametes which are like eggs or sperm cells from you know a stem cell 
mm-hmm. which is revolutionary. Like you don't even need sperm to make a child. And you know, that's that you could take a, a fat cell and turn it into you don't a stem need sperm to be, you shouldn't tell people this. That's yeah. it. That's the end of the male, the male species. No, you don't need sperm or eggs. You don't need like, ah. but no, but obviously you would need a cell, a cell sample, but you wouldn't need. So if let's say uh, a scenario, someone had some sort of chemotherapy that rendered them infertile for whatever reason, you know, those people, you know, sadly right now, they they won't be able to have children, but in the future, if this pans out, and of course, there's a lot of speculation about it. Those people who otherwise wouldn't be able to, you know, raise a family will now be able to. It's insane. And you think about it. How high? You know what also gets to me? With all of these things being introduced, the life expectancy will, I'm, I'm sure, will go up. Maybe a few years. Uh, you know, in the next. I, mean, I I I can't give you any kind of chart for this. The life expectancy definitely has gone up. I mean, the pop, the world population is increasing. Do you think it'd be possible to come to a point where we're living to 200 years? Like it, it just se- it seems like we're constantly tackling different diseases, different sicknesses, on a constant basis. We're always finding new avenues to take. It sounds ludicrous to say that death won't be a thing anymore, but taking into account that we've solved so many issues in such a short, in such a rapid period of time. It only seems like if we keep going this route, we may get to a point where people are living ridiculously longer than they than they, we currently are right now. Do you see that as a as a possibility? So, that's actually a really good question, but and I I don't think I know the answer to this. But from what I've seen, I mean, this is just a conjecture. It's not based on any data or science or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, even with all all with all the major medical advancements like that we've seen in the past two hundred years, everything from like running clean water, which by the way is probably like the single greatest invention of the past 300 years is like, you know, plumbing. It's incredible. Yeah. People don't, by the way, people, people don't, don't appreciate I, That gets me, by the way. So, and it still gets me, by the way. Like, I'll go to my sink or I'll go to my fridge. And, I, you know, the fridge has this little little button. I put my cup yeah. there. And, you know, if it's 3 in the morning, maybe I, I came home late and I just want a cup of water. I just go there and I push this button and water comes out. There are people in other countries that would never imagine that that thing exists. Yeah, and, and then there are people like, but the water from the fridge is like not so clean. I got to get bottled water. It's like, do you understand that you have literally have a fountain of water that is unlimited unless the plumbing, unless something happens, worst case, you can go out or you could drink out of the toilet. No, but <laughs> you have water at all times and it's crystal clear. It's cold. There's ice. People... It's so crazy how incredible that is when you think about it and really learn to appreciate the fact that that's ex- it's it's a norm now. Mm-hmm. It's been a norm for a while already, but that is something that should be so appreciated. Yeah, and I think it's amazing. I think it's yeah. I think amazing. we definitely definitely have to appreciate the times that we live in. We definitely take oh, for that for sure. granted. I think if you would take, you know, the wealthiest nobleman from like 500 years ago and bring them to any neighborhood that you choose and like the oh fact that they're god. like you know you could take them to a supermarket and their minds would explode oh my god you know? it's like and and but yeah every time you look at your toilet you, you should just think of how many lives it saved you right know? the poorest people in the world now have luxuries that the richest people 500 years ago would wouldn't even dream of having definitely in the u.s yeah for sure no i mean there are other countries that unfortunately yeah. are don't i can't say the same about every country in the world for sure but living in america especially where i live in aventura yeah. It's a beautiful neighborhood. You have things accessible to people with a very low income. And listen, at the end of the day, everyone's comparing their lives to one another. So Right. I think our standard has is. elevated. Right, so right. Now we People we, are never satisfied. 
yeah also we but it's it's not wrong to expect more or to and if more could be given like again it's yeah just because your that. basic needs are met doesn't mean like that you shouldn't be able to experience more or enjoy sure, more yeah. sure if the standards are higher yeah then that's just how life it's, works that's where that's where we're at a different place in, sure. in our in our in our journey and another, th- another thing going into this okay but i do want i do want to get to the surprise to the main point, <laughs> the, the, the the meat and potatoes of this podcast what we've all been waiting for before I do that, I, I just this point was, was, has been getting to me. So, I um, live with I, I lived with my grandmother growing up. I'm just mm-hmm. going off on a tangent to quickly explain this, but she was my parent growing up. I never met my parents, and she's kind of been my mom and my dad, and so I'm extremely close with her. She still lives in New York, but we keep in touch at least once a week, if not more. And she has a very old school mindset as far she's very young spirited, but she is very in, in love with the older generation where she just hates the idea of cell phones being so prevalent now where everyone's on their phones and I hear that. But sometimes people from the older generations don't realize the pros of technology nowadays. Now, a lot of people take it too far. They get too distracted. They don't know how to live in the moment. There are Mm -hmm. cons, definitely cons. Mm -hmm. But things are accessible in such a rapid pace. You can do so much from a cell phone you can order food. You can do. You, you can order clothing. You can. You can do every. You can make millions upon millions of dollars with this. You can talk to anyone from anywhere in the world. You can. You can negotiate with a hostage. <laughs> you, you can. You can. You with a hostage or a hostage taker. The ho- yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. You can negotiate negotiate with a hostage hostage as well. No, you can't do that. But yeah. you you caught my. Yeah, that was, I got, that was, I got, was a good got, catch. I appreciate that. No, but it's but yeah. it's but it's amazing. It's amazing what, what you can do nowadays. And people that are that are a bit older, they just kind of they're not in tune with it. I think to a large degree, they don't know how to work it. It's so against and so different from what they grew up with. They automatically, they automatically disconnect themselves from it. They automatically just throw it away because it's like oh, but it, it just I don't know what to do. And I, I use my index fingers to text, yeah. and I get it. But it's just like. If you can try, and I understand if you're 70, it's it, it's kind of the you're kind of at the point where you just don't even want to bother. You're mm-hmm. Like I'll let my grand my grandson send an email. My grandmother is actually great with it. She has a Facebook, which is pretty active. But my grandmother has like Instagram, Snapchat. Yeah, some yeah. people are like that. Some people really know how to they know how to figure it out. But it's interesting because she figured out that's a much better way to communicate with us, all her grandchildren. It's so much easier. Like she'll yeah she'll like send us a pic or snap us a pic yeah. or something like that and like we'll definitely respond versus you know a phone call or a text um, 100% and she gets to keep tabs on our lives and see what's what's going on mm-hmm. you know obviously you know I try and respond to my grandma as quick as possible but like if you're on the gram and you're and like on the gram on the gram gram on the gram really that's what it is uh, she should have a thing her, by the way you, you should, her, you should uh, open up a new page follow her Solange Buganim on Instagram give her a follow Solange, uh, see Solange. that's the thing about Sephardic Jews you guys have the coolest names yeah Solange Buganim. It sounds like a dish, like a Mediterranean dish, no? It's all about ad- adaptation, where humans are the most adaptive, adaptive creatures. If you can put in the effort to go with the times, and that's, that's an option. You know, I don't, I don't care about the, being a part of the latest phone that comes out. I don't need the newest iPhone and the newest this, the newest that, but I, I like to know a nice amount about the technology that's coming up because if it can affect me positively, I want to be a part of it. Yeah, and you want to take advantage I of it. I want to take advantage of it because it, sure. it, 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 it creates massive efficiency. That's one thing about technology is if you can use it to your advantage and not get too sucked into it, if you can still live 
in the moment where mm-hmm. you're at a concert and you're not looking at the concert through your phone and you can actually live in the moment and spend time with your family and put your phone down at dinner and know there needs to be a gray area for people that know how to live in that with that gray area but then use technology to their advantage i think live wonderful lives because you can do so many things in the course of a day you can spend time with your family you can make money you can you can go to an event i mean the list goes on right. when we were when we were back in the day it would take 18 years <laughs> to travel across the world you can try, you can literally go from country to country in days there's mm-hmm. so many things you can do now and people just are bitter about it people are, there are people who just always complain mm-hmm. you know but For sure about ne- on the topic on of the prosthetic topic penises oh, no. simon yeah, so let, let, let me just give a brief topic, topic as to how this came about. So again, he asked me to come on. I said I was doing urology, and uh, right now, so I did two weeks of general urology. So for those who don't know, uro- urologists deal from the kidney to the tip of the urethra, if that's a penis or it's, you know, or whatever. They go through that whole, that whole course down. Anything along that way is what they take care of. So the first two weeks were general urology, so it was a, a lot of prostate cancer, it was a lot of kidney cancer, people had blocked you know ureters or you know really plumbing issues and then the second two weeks that i've been doing is uh, male infertility male um and men's health you know and uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, either sexual dysfunction or like we spoke about infertility so a lot of the surgeries they do is um is either varicocele repairs and those are things that we could talk about in a bit um very common in men and that could impact your fertility and a lot of the things that we see in clinic are actually uh, like men's sexual health and uh, a big complaint that we see a lot of the time in you know people from all ages like we have people in their 20s people in their and someone in their 90s you know came in last week so you know he's a trooper in a his trooper, 90s a he trooper. still wants he's still trying to go, go not out. only that he was there like uh, there was there was uh, he, there was he's still cost- trying to get it up at 90 but he's, he's married happily for like 60 years wow <laughs> yeah that's so admirable yeah for sure for sure he still, still, still got it at 90 still got it so they're definitely they're there for um, Th- that's another thing by the way it's incredible what they're doing as far as testosterone I'm sure with yeah. estrogen too but I know more about the testosterone side right where think about all the pills the Cialis Viagra. Aside from all the pills, there's there's so many different formulas and 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 medical research done on keeping libido on both sides. Oh, for sure. And for sure. back in the day, it's like back in the day. I don't. I can't. Think, I I don't know the age. But back in the day, if it's if it's over, it's over. Like if you can't get if you can't get it up anymore, and she isn't I- into it anymore, that's it. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, that's that's changed drastically. Drastically, and uh, there's so many options. And I think before we get to that, I think we should definitely take a few minutes to talk about like how erections happen, mm-hmm. like the process that happens in our brains and in our blood vessels. And we could talk about like the different medical therapies that, that kind of exist and the options that happen. So, Oh, at the most, I think for most people, men just, for women, uh, I mean, people just think for men, it's just like, oh, yeah. boom. You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's, kind of, it's, well, it's kind of like that on a really simple level. You know, it, the process starts in the brain, you know, getting aroused, this, the, there's signals that come from the brain and the spinal. The head, the head brain. Men the head have, brain. Men have yeah. two brains, so we're talking yeah. about the head brain. We're talking, yeah. So the the signal comes from you know deep part in the brain that uh, and, and and also the spinal cord as well. There's a reflex uh, that that arc that could happen to help uh, to help with that process. So it comes from the brain and it tells the body to you know get an erection. So you there, you have nerves. Let's backtrack a minute and talk about actually what a penis is. You know, so a penis is essentially uh, it's these two tubes that fill with blood mm-hmm. and the idea is to get more blood in than is coming out and it's like a balloon and it just kind of inflates with blood and it's these two tubes that sit on top 
and then there's your uh, urethra that runs underneath in between those two tubes and comes up over in the shape of a head. The, the brain will send nerve impulses to the blood vessels in that area and say, hey, arteries, I want you to dilate. Dilate means to open up, to mm. let more blood into the penis. The penis becomes really full. As the penis fills up with uh, blood, it starts to compress the veins. So arteries go in, veins go out. So it compresses the veins and stops blood from leaving the penis, and then you end up with a rigid erection, hopefully. right? But there's two, there's two processes that have to go down. You need to have an intact nervous system. right? So you have to have a good spinal cord. You have to have a, a good brain. And you have these tiny, tiny little nerves, very fragile, fragile nerves that run under the prostate that supply, uh, that tell the penis, that tell the blood vessels in the penis to dilate. And you need to have good blood vessels, right? And those are two very important things that, that, you, that you need to have. Another thing to talk about is what kind of nerves tell you to have an erection. So I'm sure we know uh, fight or flight, mm-hmm. rest and digest, right? So the flight or fight is, you know, imagine you're getting attacked by a lion, right? So you want to, you either run or you, or you get a boner. Or you fight the lion. No, so exactly. The thing you don't want to happen, you don't want to get an erection while that lion's chasing you. And, you know, similar things. Maybe you would scare the lion off. You never know. You never, well, I think, I think in the past, if it did happen to somebody, I think that person got ate by the lion. So they didn't pass on those genes to their, uh, to their kids. You just turn yeah. around, you turn around, the lion's running after you, turn around, you do like this jump, like this, this yeah. like 180 jump and you're just like. You know, the lion just runs off. You know? Right. So, <laughs> so when you're in like full fight or flight stress mode, we call that the sympathetic system. It's very hard to get an erection. It's also hard to digest food, like all things that are not. We kind of reroute the blood. So if you notice, if you jump into an ice cold swimming pool, or if you're being chased, or if you're running a really long marathon, you might get shrinkage. Right. That's your body diverting blood away from non-essential centers, so away from your gut, away from your you know, your reproductive organs, and mm-hmm. it's routing them towards the muscles and towards the brain. So to keep those functioning at all costs. It's incredible what the body does. So, so it's similar to that. So you actually have to be in a really relaxed space to be able to get an erection. That's our parasympathetic system. Mm-hmm. And you have to have a certain cool, a certain amount of, re- you have to be in a relaxed state to be able to maintain one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, so again, we spoke about the nerves and we spoke about the blood vessels, mm-hmm. uh, right? So there's a bunch of diseases that it can affect both. So from the nervous side, if you're really, really stressed out, you're not going to be able to get an erection, right? That's, that's just, you know, physiology. It's the way our bodies were designed, sure. right? If you, you know, God forbid, have a spinal cord injury, you also won't be able to maintain an erection because you won't be able to send the signal to the blood vessels to get them to dilate, right? And then there's mix. So if you have a disease like diabetes, right, diabetes affects the tiny blood vessels that supply the nerves, right? And it kind of cuts off the circulation of those tiny nerves and those nerves start to die. Right. So now you don't have a good nervous signal to the blood vessels telling them to dilate. Again, these are very small, very fragile nerves that are easily injured. Everywhere from prostate surgery to people who ride, go mountain biking, either from nervous or actually damaged to the penis from all those bumps. That's really a thing. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. I'll check it out. No, I was, yeah, these are, I think these are people who go a lot and consistently and yeah. So back to diabetes, diabetes is actually a condition that affects both that affects blood vessels. So it damages the blood supply to the nerves and it damages the actual blood vessels, you know, farther on in the disease in the penis. So a lot of the medication that we use to, you know, target erectile dysfunction works on that level. It works to kind of force those blood vessels open to, to, you know, get blood in there. So how do we start? So someone comes in with erectile dysfunction. Usually the first thing you got to assess is, is it is the problem here or is the problem downstairs? And usually the easiest way to get to like figure out that is, are you, do you have erections at night? You know, 
Because if the problem is that they're very stressed out, they're very nervous, usually they'll still have erections at night or they'll still be able to, you know, work things if out on their nervous, own. If they're nervous, they would have them at night. Yes, because they're not, they're like kind of not conscious, so to speak. So meaning if the problem with getting erections is in their head, then, you know, maybe it's a performance anxiety thing. Mm-hmm. But at night, you know, when they're sleeping, they still would be able to have morning, tuma- like morning, we call it morning tumescence is the uh, scientific word for it or evening or nocturnal tumescence. But if it's a problem with actual blood vessels in the penis, then even at night, they'll have a problem developing an erection or mm-hmm. if it's a nervous issue. Uh, nervous, I mean, problem with the nervous system. So yeah, so the first thing they like to start off is with a medication that dilates blood vessels. This is something we know as Viagra, Cialis. You've seen the commercials for them. You know, call your doctor if you have an erection lasting longer than four hours. It's a real condition. It's called a priapism. That means the blood kind of stayed in the penis for so long it started to coagulate. That's a big problem. No bueno. Not enjoyable. Not you get, a painful. Yeah, you painful. Have trouble getting, they have to drain it. It's it's it's. Yeah, not you can't good. get through doors. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could. Some of yeah. us have those problems. Some of us don't. Some, <laughs> yeah. You walk, yeah. You walk, um, into, you walk into the wall and, you know, it's not. Break your nose. Yeah, well, you, uh, could, you could hang groceries under your jacket, but it's it's not, yeah. So that's usually the first line of therapy. You know, the difference between Viagra, Cialis, there's all these different at Levitra. Most of them, um, I think Cialis is definitely the one that I've seen in, you know, in clinic prescribed more. It has Cialis a, is more common? prescribed more recently, especially people who have actual issues because it has a longer half-life. Half-life means the amount of time it takes for half of it to leave to your, your body to die, not digest, but to metabolize half of the drug and get it out of your system. Hmm. So if, I think Viagra is halfway out of your system in four hours. Cialis is 20 hours, if I'm not mistaken. So Cialis actually, it's much longer lasting. The benefit is that uh, Cialis could be taken on a full stomach. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. So imagine you're planning your dinner date, right? So you can't you can't take the Viagra on a full stomach. So dinner and you know movie and then what? You really have to. There's a lot of stress. It only works for four hours. So you really have to plot out. Versus Cialis, some people take a really big dose in the morning or in the general vicinity that they're going to be you know attempting to you know engage with their partner. And in that case, it's uh, it's definitely more. Um, it's it's just a more flexible medication, and. Uh, you know, the prices are dropping. These drugs are going generic. Uh, you go on GoodRx on the app. They'll point you to the cheapest location, cheapest price in your area if that's something you're interested in. That's good stuff. That's good knowledge for people. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And what these drugs do is they force, not force, but they <clears throat> augment the dilation of these blood vessels in, of these arteries in the penis to kind of force blood in there. And in, in young people, it's usually a confidence issue. So they, they'll prescribe it until you get your confidence back. In people. Really, for confidence? Well, it's not. F- so I think there's actually a fundamental difference between like maybe, again, this is a personal opinion thing. I think the difference between like between men and women, how they approach these things. I think men tend to focus. Everything is based on their last experience. I think that's like, so if that didn't go well, then they have like permanent self, like or this perpetuating self-doubt. Versus, I don't know, maybe, maybe again, I don't you know, know if, I can't I, speak for I women. Feel like it's, it's like, I think it's prevalent for both for both genders. It could be, yeah, I think definitely. It's a, but I think it's a feeling of, of maybe, you know, lack of confidence, rejection. They assume, you know, the last experience was bad, the, the next one's going to be bad as well. I, I don't, you, you think it's more common with right. men? I think with men, I think just because the nature of the difference in, uh, you know, when you have a, an erection, it's either there or not. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. So it's definitely a much more, I guess, maybe noticeable. Maybe I think maybe men have much more of their identity tied up into oh, the, for sure. into that sort of thing. It's, it's a pro, it's, it's like definitely a, a, it could be definitely a much more of a mental game. 
so they they'll prescribe it and and it, you and it, from what i've seen like it helps you know helps people a lot at least that first few times till mm-hmm. they get back on that horse and then some people just you know be either diabetes or they have some sort of uh, you know spinal cord damage or trauma it's definitely helpful after if pills don't work there is another medical therapy it's their intracavenosal injections you kind of you know we spoke about those two tubes that kind of fill mm-hmm, up with mm-hmm. blood side by side like this you directly inject a really tiny tiny needle into that into that the 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 corpus cavernosa which is those two tubes and you inject this medication it really forces these blood vessels wide open but how would you the person would have to do it on himself yeah so right before attempting and it's pretty fast it's and how long does it last how does that work i don't know how long it lasts uh, i know in clinic we use it for dopplers sometimes like in clinic sometimes we need to assess somebody's erectile function and we use ultrasound to do to see how much blood is going in and out and you know it's you can't really just okay sir we need you to turn on your erection so what we do <laughs> you know, so what we do is they actually they inject with uh, they had a switch for that you yeah just so essentially an electrical so switch this is like, a medical switch this is what it is and they right. inject it and they kind of like you know force this erection and they you know run their test and then right. they inject a second drug which is essentially Sudafed and that shrinks the erection Sudafed shrinks the so erection Sudafed the way Sudafed works is that it kind of constricts blood vessels to like stop the flow of blood. So if uh-huh. you have a boggy sinuses, you take Sudafed and it kind of like constricts the blood vessels. It's since there's less blood going there, there's less fluid leaking out of the blood vessels and you have less of the, you know, that clogs mm. runny nose. So th- if you inject Sudafed in the penis, it'll cause the penis blood vessels to contract and it'll turn off your erection, so to speak. Interesting. You know, I remember we had one patient, severe diabetes, uh, unmatched, uh, like, I mean, unmanaged, poorly managed and he was tr- trying to start a family. And three three injections, nothing was happening. Nothing was working. So in that case, after that, there's, you know, different therapies, vacuums and all that stuff. But for definitive management um, in people with poor blood vessels uh, or, you know, poor neurological function, people who have really bad spinal cord injury, they do, uh, they do something called a penile prosthesis. So again, remember how we spoke about there's these two tubes that kind of inflate with blood? Well, what if you could substitute those two tubes with uh, plastic tubes? with prosthetic tubes and you know you could fill those up with uh, saline or salt fluid salt water fluid and then you could maintain an erection that way so the idea is to replace those two tubes that fill with blood with artificial tubes and um, that is a long-term solution it's kind of permanent because once you shut once you kind of slide those tubes tubes in there you damage all the natural blood vessels so it's it's an irreversible process but sensation is maintained if it's done right um, and we could talk about like sizing in, in a minute, you know, uh, picking the right tube size. You People tend to think that, you know, oh, I'll just replace it with these like big old tubes. And you no, know, it has to actually be a little bit smaller than your natural size because. Oh, that's so disappointing. This is like a delicate organ. So if you're putting in big tubes, you could actually put so much pressure from the inside out of the Because you're essentially, you're, you're, you're stretching it. You're much. stretching it. So you could either kill off the nerves, which would go completely numb, which I think mm-hmm. is worse. Uh, exponentially worse and then also you could kind of perforate there's so much pressure there's no blood supply to that area and that area dies and then the the implant leaks out and then you have a very big problem or a small problem or 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 no problem from that point (laughs) on you know it's like if it's bad enough they might have so so what is generally the lack of size how meaning how much how much size are they are they so i i don't i can't give you the exact number um but it's definitely they try and keep it a little bit smaller than the actual like they try and keep it as perfect as possible but you know i don't think it's ever no one's ever going to tell you it's as good as it was when you're in your 20s Um, without question without question artificial there's no debate yeah well people that being said people have incredible incredible satisfaction from it and you know it's very it's a you know 
it's a very this is a very big and very important part of life very important part of you know being a human and being intimate with another person and uh you know just you and you actually see it you know i've seen it being placed in people who had car accidents when they were six years old and they couldn't feel they yeah they have no movement from you know waist down Mm -hmm. and it it really this device changes their lives i've we saw it in 95 year old gentleman wanted a replacement he wanted a different model (laughs) so uh, model yeah so there's actually there's three types and uh i think i'm just gonna pull it out now oh snap whipping out the johnson these are the two tubes we spoke about um this is a reservoir that fills with fluid Mm. and this is our pump so i don't know if you can see the pump sits in between your two testicles it's like a third nut um, and you grab that it pump. It sits between the two testicles. Yeah. At all times, it's always there. It's always there. And to be honest, well, like... It's hard enough keeping two of them in your pants. But you gotta, yeah, but this little guy, apparently it doesn't bother people that much. Yeah, here, you give it a little, give it a little firm squeeze. And it requires effort. You need to get, you need to get, imagine this is, imagine this is inside your scrotum. So you're going to have to get two fingers in there. And, uh, oh, on. it's in, oh, it's inside. Oh, they insert it into yeah, the Yeah, this is, goes the, in. The so these, these two it's tubes inside. go inside the penis. Right. And they, they take the place of the natural tubes that right, we have right, there, right, right. right? This reservoir goes uh, around the... Bl- How do those fit in? That size? That's the size of them? Um, well, it goes like this. So I'd imagine this guy's penis, well, it, this part goes into your... You know, some of it goes deeper in. Your penis actually goes much deeper in than, than what, from what we see. I mean, this is what? Uh, five inches? No, but I thought the thickness. Cause I oh, thought- the tubes. So why don't... Well, we could, we could inflate it. So I guess this would be flaccid, so to speak. Uh-huh. And then let me just make it flaccid but then and then try to turn it because i can see it try to turn it to the camera right. angle that camera so angle, you imagine see. you're pumping and i probably have two hands on this but oh sorry there we go there's one and both of them are going to inflate I just give this one a hand <laughs> <laughs> and yeah this is it so we're pumping, we're pumping. So imagine you just, I but guess. What is the, what's with the top? What's with the whole section over there? Oh, this is the reservoir. So this is where the fluid stays That's when it's not they, being they used. put that in your body. This, so this goes right around your bladder. It's insane. So, and then this goes here. And this is, and this is big technology fight. So there's actually three different types. Two, two are the inflatables. These are, it's called the three-piece unit. So it's one, two, crazy. three. This yeah. is completely This is, this is the future, man. This is, this is crazy. This is for the people that never want to retire. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, by the way, kudos to those people. Yeah. I would, by the way, who knows if I'm, not, I mean, dude, by the time we're 90, this might not even be a thing anymore. So actually, we might be looking at this when we're 90, and this might be that old school, like, so I'm about Macintosh, to, yeah, 19, you know what I mean? Yeah. So probably a poor choice of words, but I'm about to blow your mind. Um, <laughs> basically, um, there's going to be a convention soon in, uh, in Europe right now where they're discussing a, a robotic version of this that you could control with your phone, likely. Oh my god! So the, the problem idea... is if somebody gets the wrong phone. Well, well, if someone <laughs> in the wrong hands. Well, think of bro. Imagine. imagine well, think you, about wait, it. Wait, think... wait, wait, Simon. Imagine, imagine your phone. You leave your phone at the gym, and somebody opens the phone, sees the app, and they're like, "Hmm," and they they know what it is, and they they start pumping your your penis. Yeah, pe- I mean, penis, I, there's probably gonna be some sort of, yeah, there's probably some sort of face ID, but imagine getting hacked. Um, <laughs> This but is, it's the person's but, turning on and off your, your so, boner. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's kind of crazy. But think about it. This is this is a great system, and a lot of people it helps a lot of people. But think about it. There's a there's a you know there's a pump here, and you gotta squeeze, and some people yeah. get this pain, this aching from having you know basically this this guy hanging out there. Yeah. Um, 
And, um, and yeah, so imagine instead of having this whole system, you have this and you have a little motor right underneath it. And, you know, you, you go on the app, you turn the thing and it goes up, turn it up, you finish, goes down. And so how do you, how do you take it down? Um, you, there's a little release button right here. You squeeze it and we squeeze. Can you see this? Show yeah, so you, we squeeze right here. Oh, the release, okay. So there's a release class right here. You squeeze, and I don't know if you can notice this reservoir. You have to squeeze the penis. Yeah, you got to squeeze it, and we're done. Wow. Look at that. And it's there's so much more effective than any medication. Right. I, I mean, it's, 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 it's but it's a it's, permanent solution. So, again, we always, because in medicine in general, we always try and, you know, keep the least invasive, least, you know, every surgery has its risks. There's always the risk of infection, especially in diabetics, because they don't have that good vascular blood supply. Well, well here's another question. Before I want to interject, the this is something you know, like a pacemaker, or other things where the body isn't familiar with this this installment. So, if you're putting this into the body, are are the blood cells going to start fighting this? So you're asking about rejection. That's a right. that's an excellent question. So rejection right. tends to be a problem. So the way cells fight things in an immune uh, style response is by recognizing foreign surfaces in the protein. So example, if you know, if I put a piece of your liver in my in my body, a piece of your liver in my body, my body would recognize that the proteins on the surface of your liver, on the cells of your liver are different than mine and it'll automatically attack and try and reject it. So this doesn't have surface this doesn't have proteins on the surface. So the mechanism by which the body rejects um things it, it's not the classical mechanism what could happen is it could form because there's inflammation from this there could be scar tissue that forms over it and we see this in breast implants all the time there's these uh, a lot of times they have to be switched out because there's a you know there's a, a pocket of scar tissue that kind of encases the whole breast mm. tissue mm. and it causes like rippling in the breast and like sh weird shapes and stuff like that and it has to get changed out um so it's a very similar process so yeah there's definitely be some scarring that forms around uh, these tubes, but in general, people tend to have a really good response. These have to be, these usually last about 10 years or 10 years worth of uses. I don't know if you're using it five times, I think, I, think, I don't how know come? how many. Why is it 10 years? It's just um, how... That's just what we've seen so far. Um, I think these things have been around for, I think, maybe 30, 30 years, if not more. Yeah, I don't think we definitely don't have to worry about rejection in the classical sense of the term. What there, what's a big risk is infection, you know, if, especially the people that usually need to get these devices tend to not be the healthiest individuals Correct. and so it's very easy for an infection to form and and you know cause issues and problems and it could eventually force you to have to have to replace it or to take you know cut off the parts that are infected and it's it is a problem so yeah usually before they put this in if it's in a diabetic they'll make sure they have like their diabetes under a certain threshold can't they go up again though meaning it, meaning if it's under that threshold isn't there a risk that that can, yeah, the, it can increase again right but the idea is that in the post-operative period while things are healing, their diabetes is under control. That's mm -hmm. like I think that's the main thing. It's a how really cool. Is, how much does a does a procedure and installment like this cost? I believe around seventeen thousand dollars, just because it's a medical device. At the end of the day, I think this mm -hmm. procedure is this definitely. Is, it's not covered by insurance. It's considered like cosmetic. It, de or it depends. It depends. I think at the VA or if you know for people who are power like it's yeah. I think I think it is covered by insurance. Really, and certain insurances if you have good insurance. Um, but yeah, this is this is definitely this is a part of being a human being and it should definitely be covered by insurance i agree i, I agree um, it should be but it's you know, you know not always the case yeah i mean it's not like an augmentation of sorts you know like vasectomies are not covered by insurance i don't think 
but yeah, it's a really, really cool, really interesting device that has a big impact on a lot of people. So there's another version that's like less technical. It's just two tubes and it's called a malleable. These are for people who have poor grip strength or people who can't see their bellies, you know? If they're really, really obese and they can't see their, their bellies, they're not going to be able to like reach under and squeeze. So they just have a, it's a bendable one. So when they're finished, they just point it down. And when they want to use it, they just point it up. So it's not as like, it doesn't look as natural as this would look. Right. And, and how much, and that's a much cheaper option? It's a little bit cheaper, but it's not. If insurance the, is covering it, then obviously yeah, everybody would, would. Yeah, I know. You definitely would want one of these. It's a much more natural look. Uh, the malleables are just well, less fussy. Titan, the Titan Touch. The Coloplast Titan, there's another company from Boston Scientific called AMS. There's a lot of like money researching and like what's the perfect antibiotics that you could like kind of soak it in before. I think with AMS, they have a proprietary like cocktail of antibiotics that their uh, implants come like pre-soaked in. Uh, Coloplast, I think you it's more customizable. You get to pick your own. It's incredible. This is so cool. I think, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's just a, it's an interesting device. It's just just interesting to show what's going on, and there's still being advancements. There's still advancements being made in uh, in this in this field. And I'm uh, shout out to my uh, to one of the, the doctor to let me borrow this for a little bit. Really cool. Awesome. Well, you you you're gonna mention the name, or you're not gonna? Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. Um, well, listen, I think we're gonna conclude here. Yeah, for um, sure. Simon. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Thank you for having me. Uh, was, this was an excellent, excellent conversation. I'm and I'm, I'd be happy to continue in any form. You know, just we'll hit me up whenever. We'll definitely have you back on, brother. Um, it was very informative. I learned I learned a ton. I mm-hmm. hope the people listening will also learn. I hope that, like I mentioned earlier, they're actually going to have the patience to sit through it because a lot of people don't have the, the mental space for, for medicine, man. Like, and and I, didn't, I didn't choose to go into it. I don't have the, nearly the same passion that you do or even, even close to it. But I, I admire it immensely, and I, I, I do enjoy learning about it, if, especially if it's not in a classroom and I'm not being tested on it, mm-hmm. but if it's a friend who's discussing it with me. And I look forward to doing future episodes about medicine in the future. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on to the episode. Guys, this has been another episode of Soothing Semantics with your host, Rafi Pinsky. Stay tuned for the next episode. See you.